When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Season's greetings and a special welcome to this very special World Cricket Show Christmas special. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm going to be your host for all of tonight's holiday shenanigans. And with me here in the studio is a man whose curmudgeonly mumblings on this podcast are as integral to the Christmas season as It's a Wonderful Life, awkward duets between Bing Crosby and David Bowie and Kevin McAllister's sadistic home defence setup. Yes, that's right. It's Tony Kerr. Oh. Happy Christmas, one and all. And to you as well, Adam. Like, well, Happy Christmas uh, was to you. I not included in the one and all? No, you're like a third category. Right. I think, of kind of, you're one, I guess. One. one. I'm, one, I'm at you're least all. One. At the very least, all. Are you feeling festive, Tane? Starting to, yeah, ramping up. Ramping up the festivities. Uh, you? You've got a festive t shirt on. I'm wearing my reindeer t shirt. One of two reindeer t shirts that I own, actually. They're just in constant rotation at the moment. I'm wearing a red T-shirt, obviously a festive colour. Yeah, it's very festive. It's a, it's a T-shirt of the band The Strokes. Often associated with Christmas, The Strokes. It's, well, it's not really feeling like Christmas for me at the moment. I mean, there's still a week to go till Christmas Eve, uh, so there's plenty there's time. of... There's time. for you to get And hopefully this will help, you know, and this is one of the only reasons we do the podcast. <laughs> for the Christmas. Just to tap into various holidays. To get ourselves into the Christmas spirit. Well, this is, of course... Our Christmas special, uh, I mentioned It's a Wonderful Life, the overall arc of, of the show's narrative tonight is, uh, is going to be quite similar to that movie. Right. Uh, about two thirds of the way through, Tony's going to come to believe that the podcast would be better off without him. Uh, but then his guardian angel will offer him a glimpse of what the podcast would be like if he'd never been involved in the first place. You know, it'd be like quite focused, quite professional, probably more, more <laughs> probably professional. Probably on TV, probably in HD. <laughs> yeah, on Sky Sports. <laughs> yeah. And Tony would go, no! <laughs> no. Bring Bayford back down. Clarence, I want to do the podcast again. <laughs> that'd, make quite a good, that'd make quite a good story, wouldn't it? Mary! <laughs> <laughs> We've also got a cavalcade of celebrity guests joining us in the studio over the course of the episode. Some of 2012's hottest names. Noel Edmonds, Anthony Worrell-Thompson. Emilio Estevez, two of McFly, three of East 17. The band Keen will be performing some of their hits later on as well. Capturing the 2012 zeitgeist. Exactly, exactly yeah. You know, those, those names were never out the news this year. We're really trying to tap into the, to that market, get the, get the youth on board. <laughs> yeah. Aniston's on producing duty. She's always hanging around here, so, uh, so we thought we'd better give her something to do. Otherwise, she's just in the way, isn't she? <laughs> There's no need to look at me like that, Jennifer. Believe it or not, we will also be talking about cricket tonight. Uh, we're going to be snuggling up with a glass of mulled wine, warming ourselves in the glow of England's astonishing series win in India. Uh, we'll be examining how they pulled it off and wondering what comes next for the home side. If there's time, we will also rattle off a couple of side notes as well. So there's loads to look forward to there. Uh, but just before we get going, did you have a good weekend, Tony? Uh, it was excellent, thanks, yeah. What did you get up to? Uh, just various social engagements. Oh, yeah. 
the most, the kind of crucial one that's been built up for quite a while being the uh, the Christmas lunch on Saturday, kind of just amongst friends, which you decided not to turn up to. Well, I, I was yeah. saying to you in the car, I felt... I was at home, I was thinking about coming down, but I just thought I can follow this on Facebook, to be honest. <laughs> I don't even need to be there. Like, there's a new photo posted every 30 <laughs> seconds, so... I think we were all very pleased with ourselves, what we achieved on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got to let the world know about it as well, so it's important. Well, no, I can come on. I was, I, was, I was working in the day, and then I had my works due in the evening, so I wasn't really able to come to any of it, but it did sound quite um, like quite a party. It was lively. Uh, like I said, it was a lunch, but the kind of the atmosphere at 1.30 in the afternoon was kind of more reminiscent of 1.30 in the morning than, than kind of the actual time. That's kind of give you a flavour of what was what was going on. Were you just sort of staggering out down to the uh, down to the chippy trying to get some... Trying to get into the nightclub at like 2 in the afternoon. <laughs> it felt appropriate, but... Uh... Well, I had a couple of Christmas D's. As I say, I had my work due on uh, Saturday night. I also went to one on Friday night, uh, which was for a big accountancy firm. I don't work there. <laughs> I don't work there, but uh, all the suits were there. But my friend does, and she asked me to go. And yeah, there were loads of suits there. Were you <laughs> wearing was, a suit? Well, yeah. No, I, now we say suits. <laughs> I was wearing a suit. A few days before, I texted my friend and said, uh, "I'll be all right, just in a suit on Friday, right?" And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." I was like, "Okay, it's not black tie or anything." She's like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> Got there, it was black tie. Uh, I was <laughs> right. the only person in a suit. Everyone else. In a bow tie, so That's bear in mind, funny. I'm like the stranger at the party already. There was yeah. a lot of people giving me looks, like, "Sorry, what are you doing here?" Who are now, you? Uh, often when you put a suit on, comparisons with Gil from The Simpsons come <laughs> out. It's what you resemble. Come on, Gil. <laughs> well, Gil from The Simpsons, you know, he always looks like massively overworked. So you're saying that I basically look like <laughs> I've been working like a 55-hour week, which is the opposite. Of every what's... time I put a suit on. Uh, well, I, I made a bit of an effort because I, actually I was really conscious of that. I was like, it's a big deal, this big corporate dinner. I don't want to look like Gil. <laughs> so I actually did my top button up. Uh, it's a good start. Which was a bit of a good start. But it was a little bit weird because I was there, kind of felt a little bit out of place. But people kept thanking me for all the hard work I'd put in this year. <laughs> I was just like, no worries, mate. Yeah. Did you get an award? No worries, no worries. England. This is the part of the show where we talk about England... And what a week it has been in the world of England. They wrote a new chapter in the history books as they sealed a 2-1 series victory in India with a draw in the fourth test in Nagpur. What would the title of the chapter be, do you think? Do chapters always have to have titles? In kids' books they do, I suppose, don't they? Yeah, that was the last books I read. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that. Uh, like, I can't think of what it would be called. Victory in India, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it does what it, you know, no need to yeah. overcomplicate it. I joke, you know, I have read some books, not cover to cover. I've dipped into some books in the last decade. Yeah. Uh, and I do like, you know, particularly when, kind of academically speaking, you know, it's nice to be able to know what the, the chapter's about when you look at a contents list, isn't it? Yeah, because then you can work out which ones you have to read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, I mean, it's quite staggering how, like, little fiction you read. But like, I remember, I noticed this quite recently, that um, I remember in about 2005, you saying to me that you'd read the novel The Big Sleep. And then, <laughs> relatively recently, like within the last year, I think you were, I overheard you talking to somebody <laughs> and you were trying to impress them. And they said, oh, what do you read? And you were like, well, recently I read The Big Sleep. I quite enjoyed so that. What, what I've done essentially is read one book 
And then I'll just use, I'll just, that's, that's my go to. Dying out on that for the rest of yeah, your life. You need more than one book. Because so like, oh, what, you reading recently? What have you read recently? And so, yeah, boom, big sleep. Can, <laughs> can you even remember the name of the main character? I can't remember much of it. Yeah, I just watched the film as well. Not a very well read man, Tony Kerr. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change that. It's been my resolution for the last three or four years at least. Yeah, it's gone well. Uh, but it hasn't really, hasn't really kicked on, has it? Well, perhaps we can hold you to it um, on the World Cricket Show. We can set up a, a, book a Tony Kerr book club yeah. uh, where we'll get you to read a book every week. We'll start you off with War and Peace. I should have that knocked out by about you know, the 5th of January. The Lord of the Rings saga can be next. So I've, I've really interrupted your scorecard. You have rather, haven't you? Well, yes, as I said, um, England drew in Nagpur. Alistair Cook won his first toss of the series. Uh, which meant that England were able to bat first for the first time in the series. They slipped to 16 for two, but recovered well through half centuries from Kevin Peterson and Joe Root batting at number six on test debut, both of whom made 73. Half centuries also for Matt Pryor and Graham Swan. And that got them up to 330, and that looked like a pretty decent total on what was an incredibly slow wicket. When India were reduced to 71 for four, it looked like England might wrap up a third consecutive victory, but they did recover well through Virat Kohli, who made 103, and MS Dhoni, who made 99. An unbelievable partnership of 198 between those two. Uh, but England came back well. Jimmy Anderson took four wickets, Graham Swan three, uh, and India eventually declared on three, two, six for nine, four runs behind. When England were 94 for three, shortly after tea on day four, there would have been some butterflies in the England dressing room. India may have been thinking that they might yet wrap up the win that would see them draw level in the series. But Jonathan Trott and Ian Bell put together a partnership of 208, which saw them to safety. Trott made 143, Bell 116 not out. And that was enough to earn the draw that was required. So taken in isolation, Tone, this game was pretty awful, wasn't it? It was a pretty dreadful test match, a turgid draw on quite a disgraceful pitch. 23 wickets fell in five days. At the end of the first day, England were 199 for five. You contrast that with the recent test in Adelaide when Australia were 482 for five. It wasn't the most high-octane day of test cricket that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, there's a balance to be struck there, isn't there? I mean, maybe that that 400-odd for five isn't what you want to see, but... Hey, no one wants to see 199 for five. Yeah, you're looking for a middle ground somewhere. (laughs) and um, It was one of the worst test pitches I've ever seen. But despite that, it was still pretty tense all the way through the game, right up until lunch on the final day when England had essentially gotten over the line. Uh, Because you did feel that, given the context of the series, how it was poised, there was a danger that an England batting collapse could happen, a sort of psychological meltdown, which would gift India way back in so you did feel like results were possible right up until lunch on the final day and anyway from England's perspective the fact that this was such a boring draw is pretty irrelevant the only thing that matters to the England players and all the England supporters right now uh, is that they did get the draw they needed to secure the series victory it's England's first series win in India for 28 years it's the first time any side has won in India since 2004 so since you know since everyone was listening to Razorlight and uh <laughs> It also was big in 2004. Baby shambles. Yeah, they were big in India as well, I think. Put this in perspective for us, Tane, then. How significant an achievement is this? Well, I think I'm, you know, I'm the person to do that. Uh, always, always ready to offer perspective on things. It is large, isn't it? Large is the word. Fa- I mean, famous victory, for sure. Definitely a little bit of a turn-up for the books. 
difficult year. I'm talking very short sentences here. <laughs> difficult year for England in many ways, uh, but a very good way to finish it. Obviously, it's not a vintage India side. So I thought before the series, I did think England would would snatch a couple. I, I, I thought it would be a draw. I'm just going to go back to my prediction there. You're embarrassed that it's not turned out that way. <laughs> I'm a bit ashamed of myself, yeah. <laughs> but I did feel like, you know, I think there was a feeling that England could and maybe should get a couple of results uh, in this series, which they've done. Uh, but yeah, all, all wound, like, you know, historically, very significant. Often in cricket, the way it works is that teams are made to look worse by the quality of the opposition. So you've got to give credit to England for making India look as bad as they have. Yes, India have been really bad. Yes, there are big problems in that team. But I think you need to think about what the expectations were pre-series. Now, you were predicting a two-all draw, but you were very much one of the more optimistic pundits out there in pundit world. Opt- I don't know. What, optimistic? No, I'd say more just correct, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, proven to be incorrect. Not quite in the correct, end. OK. But the vast majority of people were not expecting England to do this. So for me... It's at least up there with the Ashes win in Australia. It's almost up there with the 2005 Ashes win because the the win in Australia two years ago was an amazing achievement, but a great many people, including both of us, expected England to win that, even though it was in Australia. They might not have expected the level of dominance that England showed, but the result itself wasn't unexpected. No one really expected England to win this series. You thought they might get a draw. Maybe some other people felt... India are there for the taking. Maybe England can nick a draw. But very few people thought that they'd win this 2-1. That was because of what happened in the UAE, where they were, where the batting was so bad. And then especially when they went 1-0 down, most people were forecasting a whitewash at that point. In fact, England are the first team to come from behind to win in India since the 1980s, since the last time England won, back in 84-85, when everyone was listening to Duran Duran. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a temptation to revise the, yeah, I agree. That, that, the that level right. of the achievement. Yeah based on how it's turned out with the benefit of hindsight. With hindsight, it's not that surprising because England appear to be the much the better team. But the fact that they've been able to demonstrate that, the fact they've been able to exert their superiority is what's impressive about this because the conditions are so alien. Yeah, there are, there are a number of factors. Like the, the, the defeat in the first test uh, was f- uh, pretty categoric. You thought England are in a bit of trouble here. To come back from that is unbelievable in many ways. But then again, I think, think the India side, you know, they, they're on a poor trot, aren't they? So, but like you say, it, yeah, India were made to look bad by England's outstanding performances. Yes, India have been poor, but for me that doesn't diminish England's achievement here. They've surprised pundits, they've surprised a lot of spectators. Do you think they caught India by surprise as well? Because as you said, they've had a poor year. Do you think India were maybe a little bit complacent, <clears> thought that... <throat> thought that there, there was no way that England were going to be able to produce this kind of cricket. It's possible. I think uh, the way Cook has has kind of taken on the captaincy and maintained slash bettered his form uh, is really impressive. Uh, just an astonishing series from his perspective. The way Peterson came back in and played some really big innings, I don't think uh, anybody really expected, you know, that a tough, kind of a tough first tour back, if you like, for, for him. So that, that was very impressive. And short of that first test where, you know, Panazar didn't get, didn't get a go, you know, Swan and Panazar were outstanding. There are, I think there are, yeah, there are elements there that, that the Indians wouldn't necessarily have been, uh, have been expecting. Well, I think the big expectation they had was that the England batsmen would fold against the spinners. You remember the warm-ups before the start of the series, they denied England the opportunity to face any spin bowlers. It was 
that was all anyone was talking about was the fact that oh England are just going to crumble against the Indian spin bowlers and it really didn't happen I mean the first innings in Ahmedabad was the only time that they were bowled out for less than 300 and for me I think the, re- the resilience of the batsmen has been perhaps the most pleasing thing of numerous pleasing things in this series victory given how appalling the batting was in the Emirates this was a tremendous comeback from all of them. I think it says a lot of uh, a lot about the character in that dressing room. You mentioned Cook. He had a quite a poor game in Nagpur, thanks to umpire Dharmasena, who gave him out twice to ridiculous decisions. Once when once LBW when uh, the ball was going to miss off stump. In fact, it struck him outside the line of off stump <laughs> and was missing off stump. And then once caught behind when he was about a metre from hitting it. So he had a poor game here as a result of that. But in the first three games, he was... An absolute colossus. 562 runs in the series, including three centuries, two of which were match-winning. But he wasn't alone. By the end of the series, everybody had stepped up. As you say, Peterson, very eye-catchingly, scored a breathtaking century in Mumbai and two important half-centuries as well. Matt Pryor was consistently excellent at number seven. And Trot and Bell played magnificent hands on the final day in Nagpur. This is another thing where maybe, in retrospect, those innings don't seem so amazing because it was such a flat pitch and by the end they'd put on those runs and it, it looked batting looked quite easy but they came together at 94 for three and the series was still in the balance at that point so they were under a lot of pressure and produced fantastic hundreds great to see trot come back to form so emphatically would you say it's not been his best year it's his first test hundred since march he's such an important part of the england batting lineup you'd hope that this is going to stand him in good stead going forward yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, he really just kind of smothered the the game, didn't he? Him and and Bell as well together. You know, it is easy to forget the importance of those innings, but they batted so much time, let alone the runs they scored. Dhoni should be annoyed, I think, that the kind of the pitch really denied them the opportunity to win this match, because we said before it, you know, if they can nip Cook out early, they've got a chance. And in that first innings, England were were in a bit of trouble. On a better surface, India might have had might have had a good crack at this. In many ways, quite an even match. Uh, but there were a, a number of occasions where you thought, well, India could could take this away. Yeah, and England could have done as well. In fairness, yeah. I mean, it, but it just seemed like in the end there was no way there was going to be a result at all on this wicket, and that is disappointing from India's perspective because they, as we said last week, they just needed a result wicket. It was it was desperately bad on uh, Saturday morning. The, you know, Bumble was getting furious about it. Uh, just the drinks breaks. You know, it was like the it was like Dhoni didn't want to try and win the match. It well, was so pedestrian. And well, that's thought, the thing. I mean, it, as much as the pitch made it difficult to get a, to get a result, they didn't really do themselves many favors. India, as you say, taking so long over the drinks breaks. Not only when they were batting, but when they're fielding as well. And Dhoni constantly calling for someone to come on and tie up his laces, and, yeah. and it's just, it it looked quite amateurish and like they were the team that needed a draw. Particularly in their innings as well, on the fourth morning, they batted for over an hour and scored about 20 runs, didn't they? Um, when really they could have just declared at the start of the day and would have only given away a lead of 30. I mean, they might, you know, they may as well have lost the match in, in going for the victory. But in the end, yeah, they, they kind of they shot themselves in the foot. Ultimately, it was a, an awful test match. And if it had been a dead rubber... It would have been one of the worst games ever. I wouldn't have watched any of it. I mean, Bumble said that if it had been going on in his back garden, he would have closed the blinds. Um, but no one will remember that really in a year. But they Doesn't will matter. remember Doesn't the matter. fact that England have won this. And in India, they'll remember the fact that India have lost it. And the matches that came before were, were cracking test matches. And, yeah, was, and great victories with plenty of like great performances and exciting kind of periods. Overall, it was a, a cracking series. Just going back to England batting for a moment, what was your assessment of Nick Compton? How do you think he got on? He only averaged 34 across the series. 
and he only scored one half century. But was his contribution maybe more important than those stats suggest? Uh, that was a bit of a leading question, though. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, difficult place to come into a side. Difficult, difficult. Uh, yeah, not just the not like location of the series, but the actual the nature of the series, the nature of where England were coming from. Yeah, the negativity that was that was seeping out from these walls and and other walls. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, difficult place to to kind of start your Test career. And uh, yeah, he did very well. He'd be you know, he's earned his place. I was not going to say he looks very established, but he's certainly earned another few goes. Uh, yeah, good for him. And there were a couple of occasions where early on he looked a bit hesitant, but when he did actually produce a couple of innings that were quite important. Absolutely. I, mean, I think in four out of six completed innings or sort of proper innings that England played in this series, he helped the team get off to really solid starts. He only fell cheaply twice and gave crucial support to Cook in Mumbai and Kolkata and even the second innings in Ahmedabad as well. And he also saw both low-scoring run chases through to the end. So in other words, he did the job that he was picked to do. He was brought on this tour to dig in and bat time, and he did that. I I was seriously impressed with him, actually. I I wasn't necessarily expecting him to be as solid as he has been. I mean, do do you expect him now to stay as opener for the foreseeable future? Joe Root's runs on debut have maybe muddied the waters a little bit because he's an opener by trade, and he's eight years younger than Compton. I've seen some people say, oh, you know, what's the point in playing Compton when he's 29, Root's 21? It is Compton a long-term solution? But I don't know about that because uh, yeah, he might be older than Root, but he's not old. I mean, he's 29, he could have four, five, six years in the team. How much, long-term, yeah. how much more long-term do you need than that? You can't just write people off, can you? You can't say that they, they can't do a job when they get to a certain age. Yeah, you know, someone like Alistair Cook came to the team at a very young age and, you know, has done remarkable things. But... Someone like Trot has come in, you know, come in at a later stage in his career and done remarkable things. So they'd have to stick with Compton now for a little bit. There'll be easier, easier tasks from ahead. And you know, if you can make runs, build that confidence. But yeah, Joe Root had a great start. Well, he's had a great start, but he's had a great start at number six. So, yeah. I mean, that's where England have had a problem over the last couple of years since Collingwood retired. So why not stick with him there and see how he gets on there? Let Compton settle in at the top of the order, even if it's only for six years. <laughs> um, I think that's probably fair enough. People are maybe a little bit uneasy about a top three of Cook, Compton, Trot. Um, there might be some insomnia charities around the world that are rejoicing um, if that is the case. But I think it's unfair to assume that Compton will bat in that fashion in other parts of the world. I mean, all the batsmen in this series had to bat like that. And there were a couple of occasions where you did see Compton skip down the wicket and smash six. I think he's definitely deserved to go in New Zealand and he might bat more fluently there. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, 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 the kind of shortish run chase that he was tasked with, uh, he you know, went along at about run a ball, didn't he? He got 30 odd or something like that. He will be able to bat with more freedom uh, at other stages. He and the other batsmen kept England in this series, um, but as always in cricket, it's the bowlers that execute the victories. As a triumvirate, I thought Anderson, Panazar and Swan were immense. India couldn't get on top of any of them. Anderson took 12 wickets, which is a pretty good return for a paceman in India. It's the same number that India's pace bowlers took between them. Panazar collected 17 wickets, an average of 26. Swan, 20 wickets, at an average of 24. Swan was so impressive, I thought. His reputation's taken a little bit of a knock in the past year or so because he was so good and then maybe dropped off slightly. But in this series, I think he, he reminded everybody of what he can do. He offered England control all the time and he also took lots of wickets, big wickets. For me, only Saeed Ajmal is a better spin bowler in the world and not even by that much. He and Monty bowled beautifully in tandem do you think England will look to play them together anywhere other than Asia? They've been such an effective duo in this series. But of course, 
as soon as they go anywhere else in the world, they're not going to have pitches in their favour. Maybe England might think about preparing some spinning pitches for when the Aussies come over in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm really pleased with Monty because when you know when he last kind of left the side, having come in in a blaze of glory and and been a very popular member of the team, uh, and rightly so, you know, he, he was in danger of being forgotten a bit, and he was a bit of a sad figure for a while, wasn't he, in many ways? But yeah, he's come back, and now he, he yeah, just I'm very happy for him. It, it's a shame that he's not going to play that much more in the next yeah, kind of one to. 24 months but uh but he should be he should be an automatic selection when when it's required i mean england don't go back to the subcontinent for three years so it might be that swan and panazar don't play any more tests together on the subcontinent um, but i think england will be more ready to play them together if it looks like a pitch anywhere in the world will take spin because it has been so effective in this series and as you say you've got to be pleased with monty he's such a great character i think he's a really important part of the england setup now they might look to rest Swan from test matches from time to time. Um, some people have said, oh, well, maybe Panazar should be the frontline spinner. That won't happen, firstly, because Swan's batting and fielding and slip catching are really, really important to the team as well. Also, because, I mean, Swan has actually outbowled Panazar in this series. And also because although Panazar, his stats have massively improved in the last couple of years and he's been brilliant in the last two winters, it's a little bit misleading in the sense that he now only plays on pitches that take spin, whereas Swan yeah. has been brilliant. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, in South Africa, in Australia, on pitches in England that don't so, I mean, Swan's, Swan's an exceptional cricketer, isn't he? And he's an exceptional bowler in almost any condition and in, across formats. It's, yeah, there's no, there's no way past Swan, really, in the pecking order. So he's still very much the number one spinner, but it's great to have Monty around as well if he's injured or needs a rest. Just to sound one negative note, there you go. England did have a problem with their second seam bowling slot. Steve Finn was terrific in the one game he played in Kolkata, but he's not been able to stay fit. We've talked about the young Australian pace bowlers that are constantly breaking down. Finn is having a few problems at the moment. Tim Bresnan and Stuart Broad didn't take a wicket between them in the other three games. I'm particularly worried about Bresnan. In 2011, he was world-class, but since his elbow surgery, he's been very poor. England really like him. They have a lot of faith in him. They went back to him in this game when Finn had to sit out. But at the moment, he just doesn't look test quality for me. I don't want to write him off because he's only 27. But I think he needs to go back and play at least one full season of county cricket to see if he can rediscover that zip. I don't think he should be near the test team anymore. Yeah, I think it was a little bit, yeah, maybe a little foolhardy to expose him 
in this last test as well. I mean, obviously, it was a tough pitch, so it was tough for anyone to do anything. But yeah, he's clearly not. Uh, he's clearly not the player he was, like well, say last year. Well, Graham Onions must be feeling a little bit aggrieved because he's traipsed around India for six weeks, presumably bowling a lot in the nets, carrying a lot of drinks. Um, <laughs> he's got to feel, you know, well, how come? Yeah, uh, Bresen's playing ahead of me, but maybe by virtue of not having played in this series, Onions is now favourite to start the first test in New Zealand. New Zealand as well, you know, without doing a disservice to New Zealand, it will be, uh, it's a place that the Quicks are going to go and enjoy bowling. It's a, yeah, much more favourable, obviously New Zealand not, although they've had some good results recently, not the powerhouse that, mm. that uh, you know, India at home threatened to be or in many ways were so yeah it's it's kind of set up nicely for them to re- rediscover a bit of form ball will hoop around so that is a concern but in the scheme of things it's a very minor concern England won't be in the least bit worried about it right now they will instead be celebrating one of the great results in their modern and- history as an England fan I think this goes down as one of the most satisfying victories I can remember and we can talk all night about the bowling and the batting I and the individual performances <laughs> but this was a superb collective effort by the team. I mean, what's really striking is that nobody's talking about Kevin. I mean, you think before the series, that was the major story was, oh, Peterson's back in the England dressing room. How's that going to go down? Are there going to be dressing room rifts? And no one's talking about it because it's he has reintegrated so seamlessly and England looked like such a strong, cohesive unit. I mean, people say, oh, well, it, it always looks cohesive when you win. But the fact that they're winning might be at least partly because it is so cohesive. And all in all, I think England just wanted it more than India. Their ground fielding was committed and athletic. They ran hard between the wickets. There were two incidents in Nagpur that, for me, epitomised the series. The first was on the third day when England toiled until the last hour without taking a wicket. But then they had enough left in the locker to take four wickets. And the other one was that MS Dhoni got run out on 99, having failed to dive into his ground. And for me, he's just got to want it more than that. He's got to want a century more than that. And he's got to want to win the game and series more than that. Yeah, that was a, a poor moment and, and kind of kind of typical of what what they, they seem to be like in this last test. Uh, I said there was a comment uh, you know, on, one of, on one of the articles just saying, you know, someone saying, oh, I, hope, I hope the Indian cricket fans get the team they deserve soon. And that, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for that. You wonder at the relentless positivity that comes from the stands uh, when they're playing is unbelievable and uh, sometimes a bit annoying uh, but for the most part really heartwarming in many ways and you just think maybe the, some of the Indian players just get so blasé about it you know maybe they need they need to kick up the backside and they need the stand they need people in the stands to, to turn on them every once in a while and just say like this is not this you know, sometimes this isn't well maybe the people in the stands don't turn on them but the media certainly well, the, yeah. do and they're under huge pressure um, from the press I mean the knives are out for Indian players after one bad game and we've talked about this a lot but there's a a program on indian television called who's to blame (laughs) which they run after every defeat um there there, there are periods of the match though you know in this last match where uh india were getting hammered and in the previous match and you know they were still getting cheered just relentlessly which is it's it's a strange it's a strange one you know any other sport in any other place that the atmosphere would be totally flat I mean, that does happen with England, though, as well, particularly away from home, I suppose. But the Barmy Army chant, Barmy Army, Barmy Army, even when oh, yeah. okay, but England are careering towards an innings defeat. There are some... Yeah, it's, I think it is slightly different, though. You think that's more ironic? Yeah. I suppose you're right. 
But I don't know, I, I don't get the sense that the Indian players don't feel that they're in the spotlight. I think you're absolutely right, though, that they, they do need, um, in your words, a kick up the backside or a wake-up call. And this really ought to be the wake-up call. They had consecutive whitewashes away from home last year, but there was a, a, a movement of kind of, well, you know, never mind, eh? Never mind. We'll beat them when they come over here. Now that they've lost to England at home, it really can't be ignored. I think in some ways this is the best result for Indian cricket because there, ha- there are massive problems both in terms of personnel and uh, backroom staff and the structure of, of the whole setup. Hopefully this will be the, this is the type of event. It's a seismic event and it might be enough to kind of shake them into action. In many ways, I mean, we talk, we've talked about it a couple of times you know, in, in previewing the series and during the series. Obviously, uh, they had a supremely talented batting lineup, for example, for, that, that carried them for a number of years. Uh, that's now being uh, disintegrated in in many ways, which is hard to recover. You know, the the great Australian side of a few years ago, Australia tailed away. I mean, they're coming back now, but you know, they, they had a real period of difficulty. So it, you can't you can't win things forever. Nothing lasts forever, Adam. That's um, my Christmas message. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, but the problem with this Indian side at the moment, but, is yeah, that they could demonstrate kind of some willingness a bit more. That they're not moving on the old guys who aren't performing anymore. I don't think that there's a, a paucity, a lack of talented young cricketers in India. The likes of Ajinka Rahani and Manoj Tiwari surely can't have done any worse in this series than Tendulkar and Sevag and Gambier did. I think there comes a point, and this point is now, where they need to back those young players and say, all right, you're the guys that are going to take us forward. So I do think it's time for changes. I, I, I would expect that Zahir, Yuvraj and Harbhajan have played their last test matches, possibly Sevag too, Perhaps even Sachin, although he'll probably be the one to make that call. I think Gambia's actually the one that should be dropped because he really doesn't look like he's playing for the team at the moment. But he's at least a little bit younger than those other guys, so he might stick around. Do you think Dhoni's time might be up as captain? Well, actually, in general, because if he's not captain, would he be in the team? I don't know. It, It was a really, really good innings from him in this game, actually. I mean, given all the pressure on him, given the situation in the series and the match when he came in he moved himself up the order to number six and produced a captain's not one run short of 100 it was an amazing innings but as a captain in this series and his individual form in the rest of the series it's not been a great one for him but no yeah and it, you know he's he's been kind of integral to and responsible for uh, some of the best moments in indian cricket in the last few years obviously unforgettable world cup victory so yeah I, I don't know i can see why there'd be a reluctance to to kick him out i guess there's a worry that you could kick out too many in one go if they got rid of doni Seva, gambir um zahir tendulkar all at the same time there, there's a there would be um almost a feeling of vertigo about that a, a real worry that things might implode but they're imploding already and maybe you you keep one or two of them maybe Savag for me would be the one to stay because at least he occasionally produces runs um but if you say oh we don't want to have a team just of youngsters but it's it's not been the youngsters in the series that's been the problem I mean Pajara, Oja, Yadav they were the success stories. It was the it was the senior players that failed and, and cost India this series. One, one thing that's quite striking about this series is just after India won the first test, you know, the, the fear that Pajara would never get out, you know, we'd, we'd, that England wouldn't be able to... What alarm is that? I don't know. Fire alarm. Why is that on...
Well, that was a dramatic interlude. Uh, what is, <laughs> the what dangers is, of cricket podcasting. What is that, about 45 minutes, <laughs> an hour, that's just passed there? Uh, well, the fire alarm was going off uh, here in the radio studio. We've, was, had, we've yeah. literally had the fire brigade down. A team of firemen sweeping the building, almost, oh, God. Well, there was no fire. Um, We're it's, still here. It, it's the, that's the it's relief. It's kind of a complex of, 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 of buildings, that, so there was a fire alarm somewhere. Some good uh, gags from the firemen, although I don't think he was too impressed with me, because I didn't really, I was trying to be the hero, Adam, not really exiting the building. We, we didn't get out of the building, but the thing's because <laughs> the, the, the really alarm know. went off, right, and there's, there's just very obviously no fire or like any sign of smoke or anything even resembling yeah. a fire. So we just naturally assumed that it was a, a malfunction and you were phoning up the engineer or whatever and trying to sort it out. The and fireman then, said that it was, the, yeah, it was very close to uh, sledgehamming through the door <laughs> or like, pickaxing through the window because I was like, I was trying to make, calling, our, calling my contact, you know, the, the, the guy who's the engineer here and was like just like sat there on the phone to him slumped over the desk and he obviously thought I'd passed out because <laughs> he said he came in and he like he then came to me and was like I was hammering on the window and he and he didn't notice he didn't look up and it's like well there was a fire alarm going it was a really off. loud alarm it's unbelievably loud I mean I, that, I've, it's literally giving me a headache so it went off for about 45 minutes it's like he couldn't hear me so there was a fire alarm yeah I think he, he was annoyed that we hadn't exited the yeah. building but it is lashing with rain outside and there's no fire it's like Armageddon I mean there was there was a you know there's firemen crawling all the place we're right by the coast and there's some really high tides and high winds at the moment so my car it was like huge waves coming over the seawall <laughs> swashing across the road like almost throwing stones at my car it's uh it's all happening it really is all happening it was quite uh it was quite an alarming moment you might say when, when, when it went off did you think that the Queen had died? I, I did suspect that. My, I thought I was just getting my words together. <laughs> We've talked about this, that there is an alarm in here that goes off if the Queen or, or another senior member of the royal family dies. Then an alarm goes off and then we think it just cuts to us live on air. <laughs> yeah, immediately, yeah. immediately, you just hear the tail end of the Pajara chat and then... Suddenly and then we've suddenly just got to deal with the fact that, that the Queen has died. Um, what, were you, what were you about? What you had? You prepared any words? Uh, yeah, I was. I was fumbling through my bag here, trying <laughs> yeah. to find the speech that I had trying prepared. To find, uh, trying to find the tributes, you know, our greatest monarch. But then it turned out it wasn't that alarm. It was no. the fire. It alarm. was just a fire, you know. It was just just the fire, life-threatening fire. Well, that was exciting. Uh, I think you were talking about. Pajara <laughs> and think, yeah. how the fact that he'd had such a good series at the start, and it didn't seem like England were going to get him out ever, and then he really has tailed off towards the end of the series. Uh, this is weird, isn't it? Because for us, yeah. we were talking about that like an, an hour, hour ago. ago. This is really strange. Uh, yeah. But for the listeners, it's really it was only a few minutes ago. <laughs> what I'm going to do now, Tone, if you'll permit me, yeah. in fact, even if you won't permit me, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to give you a composite 11, okay. a post-series composite 11. What I've done is I've looked at the two teams and I've picked one 11 out of both teams. Here you go. An opening partnership of Cook and Compton, then Trot at three, Pajara, Peterson and Coley in the middle order. Matt Pryor is my wicketkeeper. And a bowling attack of Swan Anderson, Panizar and Oja. So that's eight Englishmen, three Indians. Do you think that's a, an accurate reflection on the uh, the balance of the series? 
Yeah, I think that's spot on. Couldn't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've had to pick three spinners in a four-man attack, which I mean, I, I wouldn't do if I was actually going to play a team. But you couldn't really do much else because you're not going to pick any of the English seamers or any of the Indian seamers, really. <laughs> Uh, if you compare it to my pre-series composite 11, only four changes. Compton in for Gambia, Pajara in for Tendulkar, Oja in for Ashwin, Panazar in for Broad. So, you know, I reckon, I reckon I did all right there. If we can just give me some credit for a moment. Yeah, I don't really like doing that. I wanted to talk about the DRS, but um, I feel we, we ought to wrap up in a bit because we've been here about three and a half hours now. Yeah, my dinner's getting burnt. There will, there will be a fire scene, Adam, somewhere when my dinner combusts. Did you put your dinner in the oven before you, before <laughs> no, you set it up? No, but it's been prepared. It's ready to go. Well, I mean, the DRS is a whole, it's a whole other day, isn't it, really? Well, it's been in the headlines once again, hasn't it, with the, the Jonathan Trott incident in the game where India were convinced they had him out caught behind and you know he wasn't given... It eventually transpired, looking at the technology, that he didn't nick it. But India were absolutely furious and uh, putting a lot of pressure on the umpires. And for me... They haven't really got themselves to blame. Well, absolutely. I mean, they're the ones that don't want DRS. And it, it, it leaves their argument in tatters, I think. And it wasn't much of an argument to begin with. But the argument put forward by the, the head of the BCCI is that, no, the umpire's decision is final. We feel the DRS erodes the authority of the umpire. What the umpire says goes. Well, you know, if, if they're then going to hound the umpires like that and try and put pressure on them to change their decision. I mean, there's just no justification for it if that's your argument against DRS. The, this thing about, like, it's not perfect, we we don't want it because it's not perfect, is absurd because, in I mean, in this series, it might not be perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than human umpires. Uh, maybe it's only 90% accurate, but in this series, the umpires have been barely <laughs> above 50%. The number of times we've been talking about umpiring decisions in this series, the number of shockers there have been, yes, it stands out when there's the occasional howler with the decision review system, but compared to the howlers in this series, I mean, it's just it's not even close, is it? I, I can't really understand why that argument has kind of been allowed to fester i mean it, it's ludicrous it's bonkers yeah, logic it's bonkers it? and it, it, it it's just it's bizarre it's really pointless us talking yeah, about it because it's going to get nowhere there might be a possibility that you know that india might after this series think well we can maybe have uh, technology involved in some aspects so things that don't involve hawkeye things that don't involve the predictive part of the ball they can look at the possibility of you know clear inside edges or whether the the impact was outside the line because in, India did actually get a lot of very rough decisions in this series. And that is what is required to make them change their minds. The sooner the better, really. But anyway, an England series victory, that's the best Christmas present that I could hope for, I would say. All I want for Christmas is an England series victory. That's the B-side to our Christmas single. That's going to be us covering Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You. All I Want For Christmas is an England series victory. And I got it. I think we will be releasing It's Beginning To Look A Lot Like... An England series victory next year. So this is all I wanted for Christmas. This is a direct message to my family. I don't need any cricket books this year. <laughs> I've got what I wanted. <laughs> like Father Christmas after he's visited Hawaii and all the islands in the Pacific Ocean, we've reached the end of tonight's World Cricket Show journey. Do you feel Christmassy now, Tone? How could you not after all of, all of that, all of our Christmas special? You know, everything that's happened tonight, the fire alarm. Real Christmassy moment. The that fire was. alarm's really brought home the meaning of Christmas to me. I mean, we've kind of cheated death in a way, haven't we? And does that not make you feel... Well, we've not made it out of the studio yet. Uh, <laughs> there could well be a raging inferno That's just true. outside the door. But it is like It's a Wonderful Life, where suddenly, you know, I want to live. I want to love again. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to do wonderful things tomorrow. I watched It's a Wonderful Life last night, can you tell, too? 
it, you know, there were some clues. Uh, <laughs> some clues were there. Yeah. I do want to start talking like Jimmy Stewart, though. I, uh, hey, fella. Like, okay, on a separate Christmas movie note, I could not believe how many uh, people felt the need to tell me that Elf was on the other day. <laughs> I mean, a good movie as it is. On Facebook, It was astonishing. Mean? I think Elf eclipsed... Michael Jackson's death and most most of the other major events that kind of have captured Facebook's heart in the last few years. What, the fact that Elf was on? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm genuinely, I don't think I've ever seen a, an event uh, reflected in more Facebook statuses than that. Uh, well, that there were a lot. I mean, for me, it's whenever it snows is, is the biggest yeah. thing ever. But people don't even put anything beyond just snow. <laughs> yeah, what they expect. <laughs> it's snowing. Can't believe the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe that snow exists. You done all your shopping then? Uh, not started yet. You've not started yet? No. It's, Christmas Eve is in a week, Tony. Yeah, I know. That's, that gives me a week, Adam. Well, maybe, that's true. <laughs> well, maybe there's a movie in that. Yeah. Um, Tony no, tries I mean, to do I'll, all his I'll Christmas I'll take care of it. I've got, you know, I've got some ideas on my sleeve. Yeah, what are you gonna, have you got an idea for what you're going to get me? Uh, there's a new, uh, yeah, a couple of new, yeah, a couple of new items that I might give you. Maybe it's cricket books. <laughs> Don't get me a cricket book. <laughs> I might just get you every single cricket book that I can afford with the money. It's my bank balance. Well, I, I mean, I'd take that because that's the next sort of 25 years of World Cricket Show competition prizes <laughs> yeah. sorted out. Sorted. God, can you imagine if we're doing this in 25 years? It's difficult to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'd be a lot, probably the longest running thing ever, <laughs> wouldn't it? Well, do you think yeah. my Composite 11 would still be as popular an item then as it is now? Yeah. Oh, God, that's a scary thought. Anyway, uh, yes, that's it for this Christmas special. If you like the show, there are various things that you can do to act upon those feelings that you have. Like us on Facebook. Tony's just held up his iPhone for me to see. Is the back of it cracked? The back smashed, Was yeah, that, that something was that happened on Saturday? <laughs> yeah. What happened? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a good day or night out if your phone isn't smashed off the back of it. <laughs> Uh, really, as far as I'm concerned. Well, there was a period about a year or so ago where you were breaking a phone like every week. You were breaking other people's phones. Yeah, no, I did have borrowing a really bad people's run. phones. You're like, I haven't got a phone. Can I borrow your phone to make a phone call? And then you'd give it back to them broken. It was a bit of a bad, yeah, a bad run of form. But uh, yeah, no, I mean it's it's the back. So hey, what can you do? Uh, well, what you can do is be more careful with your phone in future. And you got a message. That's all right, then just read it. Now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that just. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, you carry on. I'll carry on with this. Yeah, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricket show. Don't whistle. <laughs> we are actually still recording a radio <laughs> show. Um, the World Cricket Show Advent Calendar rumbles on. Uh, as I say, there's a week or so to go until Christmas Eve. I'm posting a video every day, just various cricket-related videos. Uh, so go and check those out. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash cricket show. You can follow Tony as well, at... Tony Cover. I really need to start tweeting. T O N Y C V R R. Can you please do some goddamn tweeting over right. Christmas? I need, I need to be on like a paper tweet basis, I think. Live tweet your Christmas day. I think the listeners will be really interested in that. I'd appreciate that. Uh, I might, I'll live tweet tomorrow, maybe. What, just a random Tuesday? Yeah. Send us an email, <laughs> worldcricketshow at gmail.com. If you want to give us a Christmas present, you could do worse than leave us a review on iTunes. We massively appreciate all of those. If you want to give someone else a Christmas present, you can go to our website, www.cricketshow.net, and buy a T-shirt. At this point, you might not receive the T-shirt before Christmas, as it's quite soon. The post is already getting pretty backed up. But it'll be a good belated Christmas present, that's for sure. Go on our website as well. There's also there's an episode player up there. 
So no longer are you confined to iTunes to listen to this show. You can stream it on our website. But that's it for this week. Have a tremendous Christmas, everybody. Can I just say good luck to Santa as he makes his final preparations ahead of the big day? He does listen to us. We get a lot of emails and tweets from Santa, actually. Just like, oh, great stuff, guys. (laughs) Loved your Composite 11, Adam. He's a big fan of the Composite 11. Yeah. Uh, So good luck to him. And, uh, And yeah. I hope you have a good Christmas time. I'll probably oh, see cheers. you before. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, see you out and about. So, well, yeah, maybe <laughs> if you're very lucky. Uh, yeah, no. Happy Christmas. Uh, happy Christmas, uh, one and all, and you. Uh, let's go. Uh, yeah, let's go. It's beginning to look a lot like an England series victory. Yeah, at Christmas. we might need to get in guest vocalists on yeah. this. I think. Who would you have? Come on, who would you uh, have, Tane? That's better well, you than that. Mariah. Well, you just Mariah? want to meet Mariah, don't you? Yeah. And also have her sing my lyrics. <laughs> your, your li- I don't know if you can call those your lyrics. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. John Lewis won it for their advert next year, so <laughs> that's like a surefire winner. Goddamn John Lewis adverts! What will happen is we'll release that single next year, and then the year after that, John Lewis will get some whiny <laughs> yeah. teenage singer to re-record it and do it as like a ballad. Yeah, and put it over the top of some schmaltzy, sentimental, <laughs> sugary nonsense. What I, what you know, one of my big worries for the for the youth of today is that uh, you know, for them, the Coca Cola advert won't be the advert that signals the start of Christmas. It's the John Lewis one, oh. and that's just what kind of world uh, have we let them kind of come into? Nauseating. Yeah. It's a sad state of affairs, is what it is, Tone. And what a great note that is to leave things ahead of Christmas. We're going to be back with our review of the year next week. London correspondent Gordon McRae is. Presumably we're not recording that on Christmas Eve day or Boxing Day. <laughs> well, I'm beginning to question your commitment if you don't <laughs> want to do that. Tone. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be me, you and London correspondent Gordon McRae in the studio for the review of the year. We will be doing it not on Christmas Day or Boxing Day, but sometime between then and New Year. Let's hope Gordon brings more points with him than he won in the fancy World 2020, am I right? <laughs> yeah, you are right. Yeah. You are right. Anyway, that's it for us this week. What an episode. Fire alarm and everything. Merry Christmas, everyone. This episode everyone. has had everything, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry, Merry, uh, Merry festive period. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.